Hey, Sales of Nation, it's your host, Tyler Lindley. Today, I have Catherine Bennett on the podcast. Hey, Catherine, how you doing? Hey, it's good to see everybody today. Yeah, great to have you here. Catherine is the Director of RFP Excellence at Lupio, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today is RFPs. Catherine, I've been in sales for a long time, and I still barely know what that means. What the hell is an RFP? I think it means request for proposal, but what does that mean exactly? RFP would be the request for proposal that we get from enterprise organizations typically or government entities. A lot of times in the sales domain, you'll hear it referred to as an RFX, which kind of encompasses the entire umbrella of types of responses that they might be soliciting. So there's things like security questionnaires or DDQs, like qualifications documents. Really what we're talking about when we're talking about the RFX or RFP process is a formalized procurement process that's designed to advantage the buyer by providing specific types of information. It's a little bit more complicated. The sales cycle is typically a little bit longer than your usual sales process, and it requires a little bit more documentation simply because the the entity is trying to do their due diligence by thoroughly reviewing their options. There's a lot that goes into it, and I'm happy to discuss RFPs and how to win them today. Ooh, how to win them. I'm sure our audience will want to know all about that. Interesting. One thing you you said there that I want to double click on, advantage the buyer. You say advantage the buyer. Talk to me more about that. Buyers, are they supposed to have an advantage? This seems unfair. (laughs) In the RFP process, what it does, ultimately, buyers are looking to save money by making more responsible decisions. That's the point of a formal, in-depth procurement process like what we're talking about today. And ultimately, when it comes down to it, that government buyers tend to save about 20% off the cost of any project when they use a formal procurement process. So a lot of us look at this and we think, gosh, it's such an onerous or burdensome activity. But really what it does is it gives the buyer the powerful information that they need to move forward with better decisions and it saves them in the long term. And so when you're participating in a proposal, what you're doing is really helping that organization to get the best possible value for what they're trying to buy. That's awesome. 20%. I know you said that for government. Do you think that holds Mm -hmm. true for for for-profit businesses as well? I would be surprised if it wasn't more than that. Oh, really? Wow. We're talking about pricing strategy for proposals, and this is something we're going to dive into kind of early in the chat. Yeah, let's dive into it. (laughs) Typically, when you're proposing using a request for proposal or some kind of formal procurement mechanism, these are not small projects. People don't put out RFPs, RFQs, RFIs for $5,000 IT upgrade. It's for generally large capital projects, large software expenditures, high risk campaigns. So when we're thinking about the way that we price this, oftentimes we're putting a flag in the ground to say, look, we have captured a business of this magnitude and of this size. So when we're thinking about pricing, just keep in mind that the buyer, again, on average, saves 20% by using this procurement mechanism and adjust your pricing accordingly. Really what we want to do is make sure that we're communicating the best value through our RFP documents. So there is a pricing strategy that will go into this. You're going to want to accommodate the buyer Mm. in this case. Interesting. Are you saying that when companies are submitting to an RFP, they should take into account that 20% and the companies are seeking the best value? Does that mean they should lower their normal rates, increase their normal rate, price it normally? How should they go about thinking about that? It's subjective, of course. And again, just keep in mind that the buyers in this case are probably being held more accountable 
for the bottom line when mm. they're procuring through RFP. And so if you have the ability to be flexible on price while still really demonstrating value, if it's a strategic capture for you, that sets you up for more success. I think it's also really important when we're talking about pricing strategy also, is that one very compelling statistic is that RFPs aren't as competitive as we tend to believe. For most public procurement efforts, there are only four submissions. That's the average. Four. On the outside, sometimes you're seeing nine. Although you may be lowering your price, Mm -hmm. your odds of winning are much higher. (laughs) (laughs) When we calculate it, it's not a, a straight across one in four chance. There are contributing factors. But you are often in a much more controlled environment because you've had to qualify to even attempt to propose to these folks. And therefore, your pool of competition is much smaller and you are in a better position to win the business. So again, public procurement efforts usually see an average of four applicants, sometimes only one or two other competitors. Wow, It's a pretty good deal if you're in the early startup environment to think about pursuing the business. Let's talk a little bit about that. A lot of our listeners out there are skewed towards startups and scale-ups. They've got product market fit, but they're still trying to figure out how to grow their revenue engine, grow their sales efforts. Should they be using RFPs? Does that work in all cases? Or does it only work if you're selling to enterprise or government? How should they be thinking about RFPs as a strategy for growth? One of the first things that you need to consider in this instance is how do I find the opportunities? If I'm selling into the business community, usually I have to get invited to submit to an RFP. In this instance, it may take additional time and you need to target those specific businesses through a capture management plan so that you can get invited to the table. Walking it back, you need to start thinking about how your business developers are treating those longer term big fish type of opportunities. Um, To get involved in RFPs as a startup when it comes to the public sector, though, all you have to do is look online. (laughs) There are so many portals and so many different opportunities that are listed through state, federal, local websites. I used to work for an asset management software company. It was very easy for us to find opportunities. I don't believe that it's ever too early to start thinking about proposals. And here's why. It's because proposals offer secure ways to get money into your business. The government has set aside that money. It's been allocated. It's Mm. not discretionary spending. The taxpayers have said, we are going to pay for this. So the project isn't at risk from that perspective. Number one, lower risk. Number two, the dollar value of these contracts, although again, you may be discounting your pricing on the larger scale, the sheer revenue that comes along with the multi-million dollar projects. But how do you position yourself to be competitive? Because, hey, I'm startup X. I've only done a few projects. I really don't know. Okay. Here's the hack for that is if you have the ability to tag on with a larger customer. For example, say I'm a plumber and there is a company that's building a police station. Mm -hmm. And I say, hey, Constructor X, I would like to do the plumbing. And here's my very good rate. And here's my very reliable reviews. And here's how I'm going to support your project. You can get one small component of a larger project that helps you build your past performance and get your resume built up just like you might do for an individual job. And then when the time comes for us to start seeking independent projects for our plumber out there in the world to do the plumbing for the city of Milwaukee, or public works. (laughs) Now we have that experience with the other entity. Partnerships are, if you're in the early startup environment and you're looking to win through RFP, partnerships should be a key component of your strategy. That's awesome. 
one thing you mentioned a minute ago was the capture development plan, which mm-hmm. it sounds like that's where there's the government side of RFPs, which those are publicly listed on government websites. And then there is the private side where it's invite only, or you have to be in the know to find those out. Is there a specific strategy you'd recommend for this capture development plan? Or what have you seen as some best practices there? Typically, when we're going through the RFP process, we think of it in terms of three stages. First is the capture phase before the RFP is released. Mm -hmm. So once that document hits the streets, if you're responding to it cold, you're probably at a disadvantage. So just a red flag real quick, a small departure here. A red flag is if a company calls you up and they say, hey, can you respond to this RFP? But you've never talked to them before. Because Mm. what they're probably doing is only complying with internal regulations that require to get three to five bids. Please don't be hopeful if they just call you up. (laughs) and ask for a cold bid. Sure, I'll I'll put an RFP together for you. Yeah, let me spend all this time doing that. (laughs) And RFPs cost on the order of five to $10,000 of labor and materials to put together. They're not a small endeavor. And so at least those for larger enterprise efforts. That's why the capture process is so important. It's no different than if you're going to look for a job for yourself. You're probably going to prospect into a certain company and say, gosh, I'd really like to work there. Let me get to know who the people are. Let me learn about their products. Maybe I'll set up a virtual coffee with someone to get to learn them. It's very similar to the traditional sales process, very similar to if you're trying to find yourself a job. And so capture management helps us warm up that lead so that when the RFP does hit our email inboxes, it's not just compliance requirement from the buyer. It's actually, yes, we are engaged. We're familiar with your product or service. And yes, we really do want to solicit your business. Mm -hmm. So the third stage of that then is going to be probably your demo phase, Mm -hmm. your interviewing phase, and your closeout in debrief phase. So again, the three phases are capture, RFP completion, and then demo or interview. Gotcha. Are the buyers typically whittling down the competition at each of those stages? Are these stages where it goes from 10 to five to one, or are they keeping everybody in the game throughout this process? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it depends a lot, specifically when it comes to the government, it can be a legal requirement that you shortlist three firms. Okay. We can think of this a lot as a candidacy for yeah. a job. There are different stages of the interview process, similar to the RFP process. And in fact, a lot of entities will put forth an RFI, which is at the top of the buying funnel, request for information as an mm-hmm. RFI. And they're just trying to see what's available on the market. And maybe you fill out the RFI documents and you never hear from the company again. That's also pretty common. So don't be discouraged in that case. And it sounds like an RFI, is that a more streamlined process than the RFP? You mentioned the RFP can take a lot of time, five to 10K to put one of those together of internal labor. RFI, is that a little bit higher level, just some basic information or is it still just as extensive? It goes in down the sales funnel and down the marketing funnel in terms of the amount of effort. The three main types of documents that you're going to see in this context will be the RFI, which is at the top of the sales funnel. It's again, the buyer's just doing research. They're probably going to send you a questionnaire with some check boxes that you need mm-hmm. to fill out and basic information to find out what your product or service offers that they might need. Yep. Then they will use that information to craft the RFQ stage. So RFI and RFQ stages don't always happen. Okay. They're optional. They're for very conscientious buyers or very regulated buyers. Mm. Then they may send it out to RFQ, which is a request for qualifications where we get a little bit more information. Now we're learning more about your past performance. We're learning more about the team you might use to implement the software, RFQ. Neither of those include price. Mm. 
traditionally. It's just information on the actual organization. What kinds of things do you sell? Where are you located? Can we contact you at certain times of the day? This kind of thing. But then by the time you get to the RFP, you're building on those foundations and you're moving down the marketing funnel. And by the time you get to RFP, the buyer has decided that they are actually going to buy. At an RFI stage, they may not have allocated the funds yet, but by the time the RFP comes out, it's very low risk that the funds will go away. But they are going to be asking for price at that time. And again, all of those will be building foundations in order to refine the message that you present in the RFP. Got it. That makes sense. Once we get to that, there may be an RFI, there may be an RFQ. Now we're at the RFP. How do we know if it's worthwhile? You mentioned the cost of going through that, especially for a small organization. They may have to pick and choose. How do you know if an RFP is going to be worthwhile? What should you be looking for in that RFI, RFQ, RFP, RFX to make sure that, okay, this is worthwhile for us to even throw our name in the hat? Very good question. And I think it's particularly salient considering the fact that many sales leaders will try to chase every RFP that comes through the door because (laughs) they see it as a marketing opportunity. And I just really want to make it clear that proposals, by the time the RFP has come out, you no longer have the opportunity to market. It is now a dedicated, allocated amount of money that's available and the funds are out. The marketing (laughs) is done. The sales is in full swing. What we call a go, no go process is the most rigorous approach, just like you would qualify a traditional sales lead using your ideal customer profile. You're going to use the same types of approach with an RFP. If you've never had contact, I mentioned earlier, if they just send you an email, say, hey, apply for this. Eh, Maybe it's not the best. (laughs) I don't know who you are. Right, exactly. (laughs) Maybe not. If you've never had contact with the buyer before, that's a huge red flag. But also, do they fit into your traditional market? If it's a 100,000 population Mm -hmm. municipality and you traditionally serve 5,000 person municipalities, are you actually going to win? Furthermore, I think, and this is one that we miss a lot when we have this discussion, but do you have the staff to complete the project. Mm. It's extremely important because you may have the staff to complete the RFP. And I have seen it happen where organizations say, oh yes, we can do this. And then the implementation gets delayed for two years. Mm. And oh yeah, (laughs) having a bad experience through a formal procurement process can end up in federal records. You really want to make sure that you're well positioned to actually complete the work. We're thinking about, does this fit our ideal customer profile? Are we able to complete the proposal document itself? Do we have the staff? And do we have the staff to complete the project once we win? Awesome. One thing that in my very limited knowledge of RFPs, one common school of thought is that RFPs are already decided on before it even gets to RFP. That, oh, we've already earmarked this vendor, but we might get some extras just to check that box and stuff. Do you feel like that's always the case? Do you feel like it is a competitive process typically? Or do you think that a lot of times when governments or enterprises are putting out an RFP, they already have an asterisk by their preferred vendor unless someone else really wows them in the process? I think it's really important to differentiate in this case between public and private procurement efforts because private procurement efforts, it's entirely possible that that's the case. I do think that that's a superstition though, to some extent. And I did used to subscribe to that. People will try to read into RFPs and say, oh, this is a sign that our competitor got there first. (laughs) A lot of people share documents between companies, between municipalities. The same document makes the rounds between county A, county B. There's a lot of superstition. Do I advocate for chasing cold opportunities? No. Just like I would not advocate for chasing cold sales opportunities. If they don't fit our market, then it's not a good fit. But first of all, private sector 
buying. They, they may have ethical rules around it, but they don't have any legal prohibitions right, right, right. against. But public sector buying, if there's even a whiff of impropriety about the fact that maybe this person is in there influencing the sales process unfairly, those procurement people's jobs are at risk. And in fact, they could face legal liability. I would say when it comes to public procurement, yes, it makes sense to warm up the lead. But no, the decision is not made before you walk in the door, which is why when you craft your proposal, can I jump into the three ways to win? Yeah, sure. Let's dive in. Yeah. Three ways to win an RFP. What are the three components that you need to win the RFP? I have no idea. Why don't you tell us, Catherine? (laughs) Here we go. They're super easy. Think of it like a three-legged stool. Number one, compliance with the documents. The documents are going to require you to maybe use Arial size 12 font and not include any more than 20 pages and get a signature on page two. Make sure you just check all the boxes that they ask you to check. You include all the forms. It's a gimme. Read the proposal, include all the forms. It should be a gimme. (laughs) If you lose on compliance, that's your own fault. (laughs) You got bigger issues if you lose on compliance. I'm not going to say I've never, I've forgotten some forms in my life. It's yeah, okay. <laughs> We're human. We're all human. So compliance is number one. Yeah. If you don't comply, it makes it really easy for them to say, because a lot of these people are inundated with proposals for certain projects. Okay. You didn't comply. And now I just don't even have to look at this. It just makes it easier for yeah. me to kick this out of the system. So just comply with what they ask. Second, your price has to be on point. We've already talked a little bit about the strategies behind that, but price obviously specifically for government agencies, if they're looking for a low bid, you have to take that into account. So the right price, the right documents. The third, and this is very common among all sales processes. So everybody should know how do I communicate value and solve the customer's needs. Now, the way that you can get the information, if you're applying for an RFP and you know the customer, but you're not best friends with them. First of all, you will often find clues in the RFP itself. They often have a background section that describes why they are choosing to buy now, why they are choosing to buy this particular thing, when the decisions were made, and you can go back and reference in the case of public procurement, city council, state records. You can go and find those things. Second, one of the least utilized and most powerful tools you have in an RFP is the question and answer period. So what you can do for private procurement, you can often just email the person who's leading the charge and say, hey, can I ask a question about this? Maybe they'll put it out to the rest of the buyers, maybe not. For public procurement, you need to be cognizant of the fact that they will publish your questions that you ask. But you can strategically ask questions that torpedo your competition or that support your position. And you can make yourself seem like a more credible and useful vendor during the Q&A stage. Three ways that you win. Number one. Compliance, number two, price, number three, solve the customer's problems and describe it clearly. Awesome. Cool. Simple enough. All these lists, you're making it so easy for us, Catherine. I appreciate it. (laughs) Catherine, what haven't we talked about? A lot of our listeners are growth stage companies, their owners, CEOs, sales leaders out there. Anything else that we haven't talked about as it relates to RFPs that you think that our audience should know about? I think it's really important if you intend to move again into the enterprise space or if you're selling into the public space with governments, that you have a good content management system. And so I represent Lupio. We are a proposal automation software and technology, and we integrate with Salesforce and a variety of other products that are out there on the market today to help you manage your content. The earlier that you start managing content for your sales 
and proposal efforts, the more reliable and sustainable your processes will be. And so this doesn't pertain necessarily just to Lupio. There are also tools like Seismic that help mm-hmm. us support content management. But here's what happens is if you start applying to RFPs and then you start wasting time by not being able to find the information that you need mm-hmm. later on, what you're not doing is setting a strong foundation for yourself for the future. So whether it's Lupio or whether it's another content management system, think about your technology early and invest in it early. We advocate that if 30% of your revenue is coming in through RFPs, it's probably time to start thinking about software. Gotcha. Awesome. That makes sense. And we'll link to the Lupia website if folks want to check out more about that. Catherine, also just a side note here, strong woman, that's a little bit of your background. Tell us a little bit about that. I saw that in your background. Yeah, yeah. So I am actually a world record holding strong woman athlete. Yes, I hold a world record in a grip discipline. That's grip sport where we grab strangely shaped objects and just (laughs) pick them off the ground. Oh, wow. Which is pretty much the same as strongman. We just pick up rocks and logs and either walk around with them or put them right back down. Very cool. Thank you. I've been doing strongman for about four years now. I'm headed to the national competition in June. And I am also going to have my book dropping on the at the national contest. It's going to be called Working Title is Productive Pain, but it's going to be talking about how strongman helped me succeed in my career. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely link to that. And yeah, wish you all the best of luck at the competition and with the book launch. Thank you. Catherine, if my listeners want to find out more about you online, how can they do so? If you're on Instagram and you want to see wild and ridiculous feats of strength, you can join me at, <laughs> at KB Lifts. That's at K-A-Y-B-E-E Lifts. And then if we want to join up on LinkedIn, that's a great place to find me. It's linkedin.com slash Catherine Bennett writes all one word. I'm happy to send virtual coffees. I'm happy to chat about RFPs at any time and happy to answer your questions and plug you in with the right resources. So let's get going. Awesome. I know where to send folks now when I have questions on RFPs. Catherine, thanks so much. You truly are the director of RFP excellence. I see now why you had that job title. Thanks so much for coming on. Had a blast. Cheers. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at thesaleslift.com. That's the, T-H-E, sales, S-A-L-E-S, lift, L-I-F-T, dot com. Have questions for me? Email me at tyler at thesaleslift.com. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember, ideas plus action equals results got new ideas. Now it's time to take action and the results will follow. See you next time.